the first ever episode of the pod. Chris ended the episode. I think it was with Ian. And Chris ended the episode. You guys were saying like, how should we sign off? And you just said, be gone from the pod. <laughs> yeah. And I am obsessed with this. And every time I listen to a podcast and they end it with anything besides be gone from the pod, I get really upset about it. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to insist yeah. that we end this. It's, it's, it's become a catchphrase in this household. Be gone from the pod. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to a very, very, very special edition of the Sam Wise Brings Key podcast. And we have absolutely the very best special guests. Uh, first off, Sam Wise is here, as always. Sam Wise, how are you? I'm very good, Chris. It's very good to hear your voice. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And our very special guests are our beloveds. Lauren's here, my wife of many many years by this point welcome lauren almost 16 (laughs) so we've been working on the idea for this pod for a very very long time and what the idea was was that we were going to bring all four of us together and we all have the opportunity to ask each other questions partially the idea from this came because i just so appreciate seeing the two of you together and seeing how much you obviously (laughs) appreciate one another and really enjoy one another like we were just watching this um what was it bound for nowhere it's this great what do you call it it's a video it's a youtube series and this couple like travel the world together and especially the country and they're outdoors folks and they're you know in this beautiful camper anyway but they're you know filming each other and you can just tell so clearly from the way that they photograph each other and the way that they film each other that they really love each other quite a bit so That's kind of the That's idea so of this. And that makes me think of the two of you and the way that both when you Aww. speak about each other, but then also <laughs> when you <are> <laughs> Yeah. It's very sweet. And so, and also the same thing with, you know, us to a different degree, but we had our, you know, the last 10 years almost working together all the time, every Sunday, worshiping together, but also serving the last church together. And it was, you know, just a real joy in building all of this it's very sweet family and all these folks. So anyway, so all sorts of uh, good love for here. So yeah, anybody can just launch in with a question. I mean, my question immediately is, what was your experience actually being co-workers? And not just any co-workers, but co-ministers. Like, what was that like? And uh, do you miss it? I miss it a lot. And um, there are benefits from, from, you know, there are benefits to the fact that we have moved on from working together. Both things are really true. So we complement each other. I, I think I'm more of an introvert. Chris is more of an extrovert. Um, and we gravitate to different parts of ministry. So we're very different personalities, but we're pointed in a very similar direction when it comes to Unitarian Universalism. And so there's something really rich in that. Like we both really believe in something that is relevant and vibrant and alive and we have a similar sense of worship except that we're so different and so i just love that the the way that our ministry our our take on ministry is different and similar also it was really helpful in marriage to um have to every week have what we called the hour of power (laughs) we Uh. sat down 
worked on our schedules and our plans and talked through the week and talked through yeah. who was going to do what. And we still do that. Once a week, we have like we have a sit down kind of meeting and just talk about life. And um, anyway, I just I also just really love watching Chris as a minister. What's nice about not being ministers together is that. I think when you have roles in a relationship, <laughs> it's possible to uh, it's possible to sort of over depend on another person to be in that role. Yeah. So you know, I could over depend on you being the energizer bunny, right. and you could over depend on me being organized and administratively, you know, wise. So I will I will sneak in. So I think to me the thing that was so fun for so many years working together was that you know, we, we pushed each other, I think, you know, like Lauren's a really great preacher. And so when she would preach a really great sermon, I would work even harder in like a sweet samurai, mutually competitive way, because I was like, all right, okay, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, so we'll see <laughs> next time. And so we worked really closely. And so worship was very collaborative where, you know, like it is with our team now. Um, but until John came, I was really doing the bulk of the preaching. And so now having John there, it's like a little taste of that. But, you know, he's just starting out and Lauren was already really, uh, really good. And we sort of developed a, a homiletic style together, much as we're very different. I think we had a flavor to worship that we really worked on. And that hour of power piece, that which is a just fantastic relationship hack, I think, for everyone. That's why I tell all the folks when I'm working with people who are getting married is like, there's just this dedicated time where, you know, we didn't need, we knew we had this opportunity. So if there was something, you know, that I knew I wanted to talk about, but didn't kind of feel like getting into, I knew that there was this opportunity coming up and especially working together. It meant that we weren't always talking about work and we had a lot of discipline about where we would talk about work and where we wouldn't talk about work. So on some level, it was an easier time to be bounded about, you know, our love and our family and our relationship because it was so clear that we didn't want to be just talking about work all the time. Yeah. Um, and so, like she was saying at the end, it's been an opportunity since we are now both kind of really stepping up into larger roles in our two jobs now, her with being the fancy pants development person at the UA um, and doing a great job with that, like really bringing a lot of, you know, we've learned a lot in the last, I don't know, 17 years of ministry and um, really being able to bring all of that together in these two roles is also really sweet. So being able, which not that we weren't able to do that in the last one, but you know, that was our first senior minister role and much as we were doing it together, we were still figuring out how to do it and still really learning. So it was great. It was really great. Yeah. It was really fun. And we had little kids, too. So we, you know, the kids were very small. And that was part of the intention to working together is we were both part time. And so we had more time to be around with the kids. And we really we had a, a very flexible schedule, much as we were working a lot. Um, we worked in ways that really prioritized time with the kids, which now, mm -hmm. you know, we're doing a lot more than we were, certainly. So that was also very mm -hmm. sweet mm -hmm. to be able to be around for them. I guess, I guess, uh, so a lot of our listeners know all about you and me, Chris. Uh, they don't know so much about Lauren and they don't know so much about Jesse. So maybe we could focus on you two guys just for a little bit. So Lauren, could you could you tell us a little bit about how did you actually get here? Like how did you 
were you born UU? Were you raised UU? Or did you find your way to UU? And why did you choose the UU ministry? All of the above, which doesn't make sense, but um, <laughs> I'll tell you the very shortest version of it. I came to Unitarian Universalism as an adult, and I'm a fifth generation Unitarian Universalist. Hmm. Both things. So I, um, when I was in my 20s, you know, I was looking for a church, really. And uh, my mother said, you'd like the Unitarians, they're liberal. And uh, she grew up in a Unitarian Universalist congregation, Fallen Church in East Lexington. Um, My great-great-grandfather was a member of the first parish in Cambridge. Hmm. So I'm not just a fifth-generation Unitarian Universalist, I'm a fifth-generation Black Unitarian Universalist, which is, you know, are like not unicorn, which is a bit of a unicorn, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, well, the both yeah. things. Um, but I went on one Sunday, I I was like, I put on a dress and I got into my beater pickup truck and I drove to Arlington Street Church and there was a guest minister there and she was preaching a sermon. I don't know who she was, but she preached a sermon that used, um, but I guess it was Joan Osborne's song, What If God Was One of Us which I always want to change to the subjunctive or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. But, um, and I just, you know, never stopped going and then went to seminary, um, and, and became a minister and. Well, and we met at that church. We met at that church. Yeah. So we met at Arlington street church in the uh, meditation group. And so I, so I entered ministry, we, my first year of marriage and ministry and motherhood were all the same year, which was you know, 2007, 2008, that, that sort of church year. And so, she moved across the country from, she was already here in Massachusetts, and then she mm-hmm. moved back to the Bay Area where, uh, yeah, where I was yeah. living. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's us. That's, that's it. And so, um, Scorpio. After, yes, after, after, uh, after South Church, it just became clear in a way that it's easier not to be a two parish minister family. Um, I love parish ministry. So this is a way that I get to continue to be a minister. And I love that. I mm. value that. And um, and so it just works out better for our family. I've heard so much plus, of my own voice and I would love to well, hear well, yeah, you say, And then plus one of the great gifts that you bring to your work at the UA too is she's really good at sort of shaping systems and being able to diagnose parts of systems that are under functioning or stuck. And so, you know, in just, what is it, four years, you've brought a lot of clarity of roles and structure and systems. And so you sort of like wrestling of, what is it, they oil up pigs, right? Don't they, Mm -hmm. our friends... And wrestle slippery pigs like a lot of times institutional ministry really is that you know you're trying to get your hands around something that's been kind of cobbled together over years and sort of not really quite functioning and that's yeah. why a lot of people don't really stick with it but you're really good at seeing what a thing can be i mean myself included right <laughs> seeing what a thing can be and then slowly helping something become a best version of itself so anyway yeah so jesse I mean, I'm also just fascinated by, like, how did you guys meet? And then was it sort of an immediate thing or was it like sort of slow or yeah? Um, I guess, how, how did we meet? We met at a party, yeah. which is seems pretty old school. Old school. Um, yeah. My lab mate was roommates 
and with with Sam and invited me to a housewarming party for one of his new roommates. And I was like, I guess I'll go. <laughs> I was not that enthusiastic about it. And I showed up and Sam was there. Yeah. And super charming would not surprise anybody. <laughs> I was sitting on I was sitting on a beanbag. He was that. sitting on this big beanbag. And the most beautiful thing is that like the house he was in, um, it is like three blocks from where we currently live. So it feels like it's like a full circle. Like we sort of done a homecoming via <laughs> like what Somerville and yeah, Somerville. I lived yeah. at Inman Square for a while. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was a little low key dating somebody else at the time, so we were just yeah. platonic friends for right. a week or two. <laughs> you guys too. Same with yeah. you. Uh oh, disagreement. <laughs> More than low key dating somebody. Well, when we met, yeah, 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 yeah it's the same deal, clear. right? So yeah. yeah, so so for like a couple of months or whatever, it was like okay. This is this is this is platonic, but there's a lot of love interest yes. here. Yes, and right? then yes, and I was g- about to break up with my ex, so it could, the timing worked out really perfect. Same, okay. I feel like for yeah. the for the people at home, we're getting a lot of agreements and nods from Chris <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and Lauren. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and wait, so what kind of scientist are you? And then we'll go back to the other. Oh man, what kind of that sounds like a metaphysical question? Like what kind of yeah. scientist am I? <laughs> um, I got my. My PhD is in computational and systems biology, which is kind of a mouthful. Yeah. And the work I did was synthetic biology, which is, um, there's a lot of ways to describe it, but I think of like using the tools that life has engineered to make cool new things, which yeah. is generic enough, but I I, I love it. Um, not quite all the way to the Jurassic Park, but like Jurassic Parky kind of areas. Um, and then the work I do now is I'm a computational biologist, software engineer, um, and do a lot of looking at huge amounts of DNA sequences with computers. Wow. wow. I don't know. We never have mentioned this. My dad was a biologist. No uh, way. Before, before he became a minister, he was a biology professor at BU uh, for like 28 years or something. Wow. That's so cool. What kind he of biology be, did he do? He would be 98 now. So this was a long time ago that he went through and did his PhD and it was on cell division. I don't even know. Mitosis or meiosis? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot about very specific things. <laughs> and That's I think so cool. as I've doubled down on very specific bits of wisdom, I've really let everything else start. <laughs> My 15-year-old is taking physics and he's like, already, I don't even understand. You understand more of it. Lauren does. But I'm just like, whoo. Like, I thought this day was going to come later, but I'm pretty sure you know more math than I do now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. And so uh, were you, because you were also, did you tell like right away that you were working in a church? Because you were already working for the church, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was, right? Oh, wait. But this is, so, okay. So this is in uh, summer of 2018. Actually, I've just started working yeah, I, was, I think I think I he's think... been working at First Church the whole time. I've never yeah, heard. I was just, it was just around the time I was starting at First Church, actually. Was that like meeting a person from another planet or were you guys churchy already? Or did you feel like, what are you doing in a church? Because it's not well often that you meet, you know, peers who are working in church. Well, you sang in choirs, right? I so, did, yeah. So I was a little baby Episcopalian oh, yeah. choir oh, singer. It's officially <laughs> out. We officially now know you can sing. No, 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 no. <laughs> She's no, a beautiful no, singer. Not, uh, literally false. Jesse's got an amazing, amazing Factually voice. Accurate now. Yeah, um, that's true. She's not true at all. And yeah. then I stopped going. So my mom, my mom's a churchgoer, and she goes to um, Episcopalian Church 
I was going to say religiously, but I guess that's like a dump, like every week. <laughs> we have, so her mom and I, we have long conversations about like ushering and how to organize ushers and like nice. the, wow. the stresses of church committees and the stresses really? of like the annual stewardship drive. And we, yeah, we, we, we connect on a lot of levels. My mom got to be in charge. She, she got to be head usher for the Christmas, Christmas Eve service. And that was like, yeah, that was like really like a good one for her. <laughs> You know, I just found out within the last two weeks. Did you ever usher at Arlington Street Church for Christmas? Yeah. So did you know there was a party in the bell tower? No. Yeah. See, nobody ever told me either. Apparently, what? there's a this well, church that we put went that to. In the podcast. Yeah, you can put it in the podcast. I don't care about it. Our people at the party in the bell tower. Anyway. Leave it in. <laughs> All right. Sure. All sorts of secrets. Yeah. But no, seriously. So since that's not going to be in there, did you, can you believe that? time, though. There was a party in the bell tower. Chat. I worked so many Christmas Eves as an yeah. usher in this team. Nobody told me about no party in the bell tower. <laughs> no. I was just sitting down there. I mean, I guess I was a kid at the time. But exclusive club i know yeah i know yeah yeah i'd be pretty upset if i didn't know all right so uh well bringing it back i was also wondering what is like one thing for all four of us like among the things that you appreciate about the other person most no yeah i appreciate appreciate that you are fundamentally a generous human mm. and uh you know, appreciate my gifts and hold my quirks and oddities lightly. You know, like you, mm. you, even at points when I was like really nervous about my quirks and oddities. Yeah. You, you were fundamentally, you know, able to receive me as a whole human being and see me for the person I am and could be. And I, yeah. I you know, I value that. Because I have significant quirks and oddities. <laughs> so, yeah. And then also, I just also genuinely appreciate how much you make me laugh. Mm. You know, like I, this is one of my stories about being in high school. I was in high school and one day something happened in Mr. Thomas's class. And uh, it was alphabetical seating. I was sitting right in front of Lisa Smith. And I just started laughing. I was laughing so hard. I was crying. And she just stopped and she said, I've never heard you laugh. And, and so like just getting to the place of like lots of just laughter in my life is just lovely. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. What about you, Jesse? About Sam? Yeah. A million, billion, a million, billion, trillion things. Oh. Definitely his kindness is wonderful. He's crazy, crazy, crazy smart. Yeah. Which is just amazing and comes through with so many, so many things. And I, you stole it, but making me laugh is amazing. You're so funny. <laughs> and you, it's just like every day is a joy, honestly, because of, yeah, oh, all the great things about, about nice. the sa salmon. The salmon. The salmon. <laughs> that's what she calls me. So she calls me the salmon. Really? Yeah. 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 Cause I'm a bear. My Nick, my family yeah. nickname is Jesse bear. And so then I looked in the river, found me a salmon. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then when, um, when I'm a panda bear, he's my Sam boo. Oh yeah. It right. works on a lot of levels. It works on a lot of levels. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Sam? Uh, well, the, you know, um, I what I really appreciate about Jessie, I think more than anything else, is her 
warm-heartedness. So she has a well of kindness and warm-heartedness and love towards other people. She has a well of compassion and empathy for people, particularly people who are in a bad way. And that's something that I, I always, I always recognize. And, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's something very beautiful about Jesse. <laughs> and also we laugh a lot together, but that's, that's sort of been taken away because that was your thing. Yeah. A common oh, I don't theme. mean that it's been taken away that we don't laugh together. I mean, that's, 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 that's <laughs> no, no, we still have that. Theme of <laughs> Um, oh wait, Chris. Do I? Do, shall I say what I appreciate about you? Yeah, oh, no, 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 no. I, <laughs> yeah, I think I'll leave that to I'll leave that to oh, wage I should say what I appreciate, <laughs> about them, which I think you know we. I was married once before, and so I was divorced. Uh, and in the wake of my divorce, especially, I was you know really wondering and asking what was most important, and over and over again you know, when we got together again, you know, I was like so clear that I trusted you more than I've ever, you know, trusted anybody in my entire life in like, a, you know, I mean, and it's only deepened as we've had kids and life has grown more complex, but, you know, I think mm -hmm. it's, I think it's that, I mean, there's so many other things too, but especially, um, especially that it's always been from the very, you know, for these last 16 years anyway. And I'm pretty, when we, when we have, you know, hard moments, especially, and we're in the midst of, you know, conflicts and fights and things. And I'm pretty much in the back of my mind, kind of assume that she's right. <laughs> <laughs> because so far, she really mostly has been. Oh. But I like to say the day's coming. Sometimes. <laughs> Keep up the hope, there. Chris. Someday. I'll be there. I'm usually <laughs> things that you know in your heart are right already, but you just needed mm -hmm. somebody outside of you to say. Those are the things I tend to be right about. Next question. <laughs> um, I think I think we should do. I think we did big, big things, but maybe can we do little? Is there any like little oh, or yeah. secret skills? And I, I have a qu this question for Lauren, but I'll start with my secret skill for Sam that I think is is underappreciated. It's just a very minor thing. He is amazing at impressions. Really, do impressions of people, and then a little like wait, like, do it, do it. No, 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 that's the thing. It's like it's a precious thing. So he can do so many good impressions, but he will only do it like once a month and then when you hear it you're like yeah. <laughs> it's like this gift so keep yeah, his yeah. ear out for when he does an impression and he, when he's so he's really if it were me if i had the skill that he had it would be like every day i'd be like this is robert de niro or whatever but he's much he's very like modest about it so you have to like keep an ear out for the little impressions and i love it and that's my like secret skill that i noticed the funny you. thing about impressions is that 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 for a lot of people, and I'm one of them, and Jesse's another, is that it's very hard to do them on command, True. right? So, so Jesse has a, a really good English accent. No, but if I ask her to do it now, like, no, <laughs> she won't do it. But it's really good. I'll like, do tuppence done. That's no, that's it. not it. No, 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 no. You got to do an impression of of like 
of like an English grandmother. Right? Hello, governor. That's no, not it. Done. No, that's the parody version. Anyway, so that's so that's a skill. That we... Secret talent. How about you? How about you guys? Do you have any about, secret talents? Yeah. Or little things that you admire? She has a gift for losing things. For what? Losing things. I also have a gift for finding things and getting good parking spots. Oh, oh, getting good parking 100%. spots. That's a good one. Well, that's her superpower. It's weird. And it's a little really? frustrating. So she also used to... No, I mean, it's great when she does it, but it's frustrating when you're driving and not finding one. And she's like, oh, there was one. <laughs> 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 she used to live in Cambridge for a really long time, which I think is probably when it was finally tuned. Uh, and grew, and grew up in the Bay Area in San Francisco, where parking's just you know magical. But it really mm. is weird. It really is weird. Like she'll just find and super close to where you're going. It's crazy. And so if we usually have her drive, like if we're going to, out to dinner or something in Somerville or Cambridge, we'll have her drive and she'll find some. And every time I'm a Get a little bit mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that really is a superpower. It's very weird. I don't, wow. I, don't, I can't think of. I can't think of like anything your, I do well. There's tons of things you you do well. Oh, well. Uh, your sweetest habit is like every morning he gets up and goes around to all of our rooms and takes our breakfast order, and then like short order cooks breakfast for all of us. Oh, you know, lovely. So, uh, Everybody has something different, and he, and he likes and to they plate. change it just a little bit. Yeah. Some of them, or they'll go in waves. So, like yeah. Jack, Jack is in a bacon, egg, and cheese on a sesame bagel phase, but that'll change, you know. And everybody, Ben changes almost every day. Aaliyah, you know, goes through phases, but yeah. Mm. Chris, one of my one of my favorite skills that you have, and that I'm always kind of overawed by, is your storytelling. Right, mm. you're really, really, really good at it, and I, you just, I, I, I can't do it. I don't have that talent for storytelling. I can't do it. But you just, well, it just kind of spontaneously bursts out of you. You know, it's wonderful. It, um, it it began during our time, especially. Well, I mean, it started. So it started at the Berkeley Church when I was the minister of religious education there. And so we had a team of three ministers, the other two co-ministers like we had been. um, And we all preached. They preached a little bit more than I did. So almost every Sunday for what was that? Seven years. I would come up with original stories and, and they, in the beginning, I was looking for them. You know, they would say, Oh, this Sunday is going to be on community and the importance of, and it's hard to find stories for church stuff Mm -hmm. because especially back then we didn't have a lot of the online resources that we have now. So you're looking up actual picture books and you're going to the lab. Like it was just too, just took too long and it didn't exactly fit. So then I just started making them up. Um, Mm -hmm. And then over the years, got better at making them up so that the people would send me the ministers I worked with would send me a couple of phrases, a couple of images and the general idea. And then I would just, you know, come up with something. And then in the years they that we worked together, softened over the years, they used to be a little crazier. Yeah, mm. it was. And my delivery, I've, I've softened and grown. There's some YouTube videos. Oh, wow. Google, Chris, <laughs> yeah. If you Google, there's oh, some, really, yeah, it was a different time, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was 26 when I started, you know what I mean? And I, I'm, let's just say I've only been sober for 16 years. So, you know, it was, I had a lot of different kind of energy when I was a younger person. It's mostly <laughs> that I'm like, 
you know, telling the story super fast. And I'm like, and a lot of them were almost all kind of apocalyptic. Yes, I know. And you would get that feedback and you'd be like, what are you talking about? It wasn't so good. Stop telling me that. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So I've softened and I've wisened. Um, But anyway, so then when we were in uh, Portsmouth together, uh, we would, I would almost always make up the stories and then she would tell half of them because whoever was preaching, the other told the stories. And she's also a really good storyteller, very different, different, different um, vibe, but, but really good. And so I would make up the stories and often leave them as voice memos. <laughs> and then I'd memorize them. she memorized them. We're like driving to the church. It was great. Yeah, um, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, that part was really fun because then she would write her sermon and then I would have heard it. And so then I would pick a couple pieces from, you know, we do that now somewhat, but especially then it was really mm. like, you know, if you were really listening, you could hear a couple images from the sermon and then you would, the sermon would be, you know, call back to bits that you heard 20 minutes before in yeah. the story. It was really cool. It made the service really tight. Yeah, it was good. It, it, it was, that was fun. Wait, was that everything? Oh, no, Sam, you said something. Oh, was it her impressions too? I have, I have, you have another one? I have a theological question. I bring it, bring sure. it, bring it. We were together in a UU theology class or kind of mm. workshop. It was like broad brush about... Unitarian Universalist theology, and you were present. There were so many people there because there's so much hunger for more clarity about UU theology. Yeah, yeah. You, we wrote a bunch of theological words on all these pieces of paper around the room, like, you know, grace and salvation and sin. And and I remember you brought up the word solace in this beautiful mm-hmm. way. It was like you asked where, where. Where does that happen in Unitarian Universalism? I, and I just always remember that question. Do you remember that? Yeah, I know. I remember your your talk very well, and I remember I remember the discussion afterwards. And I I do actually remember asking that question. I don't remember exactly how I worded it, but yeah, yeah. So that has always stuck with me. And so I just I I I think so much about where Unitarian Universalism is robust theologically, and where it's sort of thinner, and sort of how we navigate that. So I'm just I'm just curious about uh, your respective thoughts and feelings about that. You know what I mean by thinner and robust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know where we sort of struggle to be well, what we need to be theologically to meet people in the experiences they have. You know, mm-hmm. and where we where we do that really successfully. And so then, that's a big question, but that's no, my no, it's good. And I would say also for you, especially now in your role in the UUA, it would be interesting to hear your thoughts, both as a minister, but also as part of yeah the mothership. You know, I I left that thinking. Ah, I want to talk theology with Sam again. So so uh, here we are. Now I get this chance. How two years later? Yeah. So, so something something that I think about is is um, is finding solace the same thing as finding what's permanent amidst what's transient. Mm -hmm. Um, I think possibly for a lot of people, they're not connected. For a lot of people, they are connected. And for me, they are. But my difficulty is trying to figure out what is permanent, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's permanence, of course, in terms of a a permanent certainty about who I am, why I'm here, where I'm going, what path I'm on, right? 
or whether it's permanence in some sense, in some transcendent sense, whether it's permanence about, you know, that there's a destination I'm headed to after death and that it's a good place or that somebody who transcends time and change is looking out for me and that that's true all the time, right? Now, I don't hold any certainties about those questions, but when I, I do, I am somebody who needs solace. I'm somebody who needs reassurance that it's going to be okay and that all is not in vain. Um, and I'm not quite sure where to find that. I just have a sense of what that would feel like. And it's the feeling is of touching something permanent. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, that in you, you, something that I, I wonder if we, we do quite a lot is to, is to emphasize change and to emphasize the moment at the expense of the permanent. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. we quite properly emphasize, for example, you know, continuing revelation but i wonder if the 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 emphasis on on the permanent the unchanging gets sometimes can get lost and i and i mm. guess so my question then for you too where do you find that permanence within within you you theology or in your own in, yeah. in your own lives and your own theology that's so beautiful yeah. you have to say that out loud i think so much of you know, how we've created Unitarian Universalism in these last, you know, the last 25 years that I've been, you know, really part of crafting people's experience of Unitarian Universalism. So much is around personal choice. And like you were saying, like ongoing revelation. And I always, and I've preached about this guy, but I always think of, do you remember the, the young man who came into the back of South Church you know, we would greet him on the way in and then he would come in and sit in the back pews just a year, like more. And we saw him really regularly, very sweet. And we, you know, never really came downstairs, never really got to know folks, but was there all the time. Really nice guy. So really long time later, he came and asked to meet with me. And then we sat and it turned out he had started coming right after he found out he had a brain tumor Mm. and he came religiously and was there in worship every week, you know, as he was contemplating a really high likelihood that he was going to die. This is a young man. You know what I mean? Like his whole world was falling apart. And to your question, you know, like, were we giving him enough food, you know, spiritually to face that? And what was it? Like, that's not a moment you necessarily want to hear well, you get to pick <laughs> what's true for you, you know, because <laughs> like there is something deeply you can, you know, give somebody solace. I think of, you know, my my grandfather who'd so desperately Methodist his entire life and wanted to pray and be held in prayer and wanted to just feel God and feel God swoop in and like make it all right, you know? And I think there's something really beautiful to getting answers in a time where you're questioning really deeply. Mm. So I think that's, you know, personally part of that tension um, between, you know, giving people what's permanent and then giving them, you know, the real gift of authentic exploration and, you know, freedom, which is huge from traditions that would, 
you know, squelch people's individual truth and would try mm-hmm. and squeeze people into boxes. Part of, I think, what's true for me and certainly, you know, partly true for you too is is a lot of the permanence we found in other religions. You know, like it was in Buddhist practice. You know, it was really in a deepening that we found both through Unitarian Universalism, and I'll speak for myself, but it's where we met. So I know it's also true. I, and I listened to her preach for like seven years, um, but was in practice. And it was not in practice that I was given, you know, zero to 18 every Sunday in the UU church growing up in our religious education program, which was an incredible program. And there was a lot of world religions and it was a lot of wonderful. And the youth group was really nourishing and nurturing. And it really wasn't until I was, you know, 19 and, you know, on a 10 day long silent meditation retreat that I had the first kind of personal grappling with truth and practice and my own mind and my own heart in a totally different way. And an embodied you know, touching that kind of permanence that I think you were you were touching on. Mm. So I integrated it through my Unitarian Universalism and then through the Arlington Street Church and a Buddhist meditation group there really had a framework and a deepening. And it was always woven with my Unitarian Universalism, but it definitely, you know, was from other places for me. Mm. I think that's probably true for, for me too. That um you know, one of the one of the reasons that I struggle with the fact that we have pulled farther and farther from our source traditions. I mean, it doesn't have to be Christianity or Judaism or Buddhism or but we talk about scripture as text, you know, as things we have to believe. But in practice, my experience of the religious people in my life is that these that they're living, they're alive, and that they're this, you know, there's a story and you interact with it and you interact with it again. And it's like a, it's like an offering in helping you strengthen the practice of living a faithful life, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And and there, there, there's there's something deeply comforting about that for me because I look at the things that people in my own life and people people who people in my sort of the heritage of black history um, have encountered and navigated. And that there's something so it feels like, well, th- this held them up. And it's not just, right. you know, belief in X thing and belief in Y thing. When I think about the way my mother, not my mother, my grandmother practiced, my grandmother Smith, yeah. who, yeah. you know, Chris loved practice her, her faith is deep and it helped her survive the death of her young son, my dad, when he was 35 years old and all kinds of things. Right. Mm. And, and I, and I, and I think that's part of the reason that, that I feel so drawn to Buddhist practice because it's like, you know, it's, it's hard, but it's not hard for the sake of being hard and it's not always hard, but it's also sturdy enough that it's, can bump up against it. It sort of holds a mirror up to the places where maybe you need, to pay a little attention and do a little, put in a little work, Mm. you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's interactive. And, and one of the things that has come to me from practice is just, I think maybe a sense of enoughness that if, if I'm living my life and I'm pointed in a certain direction and kind of doing my best, that there's, 
like there's an ease, even though I do get stressed about every possible thing, but there's something deeply comforting about that, you know, Mm. that I can come to the end of my life and feel like, yeah, my life meant something. I have a sense of how to live a life that has meaning, you know, it may not be fancy, fancy meaning, but it's like meaningful and purposeful and loving and good. Anyway, that's a weird answer, but but oh, that's that sounds good. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. How is it you for you, Jesse, at the edge of all this? I mean, <laughs> you 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 bridge worlds, right? Unitarian Universalism and the Episcopal Church. Yes, I mean, and I I guess I, I haven't even been to an Episcopal Church because I stopped going when I was a kid. So yeah, maybe even further further away. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's really I feel like I'm the stereotype of somebody who doesn't usually think about these big questions. <laughs> I like, you know, it's not something I engage with um, except for, you know, the normal scientist admiring the beauty of life. But I don't even know if I have like the language to talk, like the theological arguments. It's so interesting to to be with Sam and hear him talk about it. Cause it's like all this cool stuff that I just had never really thought about in my life. But yeah, it's really great to hear you guys talk about it. And I'll say in terms of the stuff you're talking about, I feel like our friend, um, my first first church parishioner friend was Katya, our friend who yeah. passed away. Um, and I for I don't know if this is changes anything that you guys are saying, but I feel like it brought her a ton of support it's spiritually. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I, I don't really super understand theology so much, but I will say the spiritual side, definitely. But the thing that like won me over to loving first church was the practical stuff there was the was it the caring committee is that what it's mm-hmm. called yeah. yeah they did her laundry and it sounds so minor but it was like somebody who needed somebody to do their laundry like right, right. so i don't know that's kind of in in terms of the like support i was thinking of that young man with the who, who had cancer and who who was going to pass away it's like theologically you know not not my area to know a ton about, but definitely in terms of those sorts of like having people there who are like a safety net, it was a huge, huge thing for her. I think yeah. what's nice about that is that it it embodies something deeply theological about you, who, who, who human beings are, who right. we are to be in the world and who we are to be together and for one another and from one another. There's this great, mm-hmm. my one of my favorite quotes is a Howard Thurman quote, um, and it's old-fashioned language, but he says, the only refuge for a man is in another man's heart. Therefore, I must make my heart a swinging door. Mm. And oh, so that's you're beautiful. saying, embody that's beautiful. that, I right? that. That's beautiful, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. I remember you preached on that once, make my heart a swinging door. Mm-hmm. It was really good. I have to say that's very Valentine's. Is this our Valentine's Day episode? Because swinging right, right, right. heart is a beautiful yeah. Valentine's Day. Right. A swinging door. We could make an actual Valentine for it. On but we should say it, the only refuge for a person is in another person's heart. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Our yeah. hearts swinging doors. Yeah. Um, I'm always going to remember that. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. I think I feel like that's like the perfect place to end it. Unless yeah. Unless we can say whatever. What is it? Oh, no, we got to say. Well, first, we'll thank you both for coming. Thank you guys for inviting me. It was a joy. Nice to meet you, Jesse. It was lovely to meet you, Lauren. Yeah, Yeah. I've seen you a couple times, but I don't think we ever got a chance to talk, so it was really good to hear. Oh, and we say, what is it? Do you want to, you should close You know what it is, You know what it is. You know what it is. What do you got to say? Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. I don't remember what the words are. Do you? Be gone from the pod. It's be gone from the pod. Be gone from the pod. Thank you.
Thank you.